Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to thy word. Let's begin with prayer. We love you. Lord, we thank you for thy word. I thank you for all who have come, and I ask you to bless them, Lord. We are hungry for the word of God because you are your word, and we want to know your word because we want to know you, Lord. More of your word and more of you. We recognize that we cannot know you without understanding the word that you have given to us by which we may know you, Lord, and to wash our sins and to cleanse ourselves by the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. It's good to see everybody here without which I would be all alone. And we are in Matthew part... That was actually a joke. Yeah. You can laugh, Brother Hassan. I know you're holding it in. It's not funny. <laughs> Matthew part 23, and we are going to jump right into it. Let's continue. We are continuing in Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. The Bible reads, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Baal-zebub, the ruler of the demons. Once again, the Pharisees were operating in an antichrist spirit. When they heard that, they had to immediately go against it. Uh, they could not deny that a miracle had happened. It was a tremendous deliverance, so they had to attribute it to a nefarious root. In other words, he's either the Messiah, he's either the son of David, or he's got to be in league with the devil. And they chose that. And you have to understand these were people who knew the word of God and should have and probably did recognize that he was fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah. But because they were angry about how he did it, he didn't do it, he didn't do it their way, and he didn't use them, then they could not accept him. If you're a true Christian, you are going to experience this. People who refuse to accept you because you won't accept what they're doing or their particular way, because you have one master, the Lord. So they were operating in a, in a antichrist spirit. And can I say that we should be very careful in accusing men of God and disparaging moves of God for Years, many denominational churches attributed the gift of the Holy Spirit with the sign of speaking in other tongues as being demonic. And that is precisely what the Pharisees said about Jesus. And the Bible says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by, by Baalzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? You know, that really should be the verse of the altar builders. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. I'm telling you, the only way we're going to win the souls that belong to God, to dig out the treasure that belongs to him, to find the pearl of great price that belongs to him, is we must first bind the one who stole it. 
And that's the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now we talked earlier in our study of Matthew about this very verse and the battle between the two kingdoms and how Satan has a kingdom and uh, it is united against the kingdom of God. And we are in the kingdom of God because Jesus is our king. And when a king is at war, his citizens are at war. So we are at war with the kingdom of Satan and we must be united. Uh, Jesus is saying here that Satan is not foolish enough to attack his own kingdom. And I, can I tell you that we as Christians should not attack each other. We should not be fighting. We should not be arguing. We should not be debating about anything. Honestly. Now, there are some people who are in absolute, um, they're in a lie. They're teaching a lie. Now, we should combat that. But as fellow Christians, we should not be fighting each other. We should try to stay in the bond of peace until we come to the unity of the faith. Um, I'm going to disagree with you. You're going to disagree with me. That's fine. When we get to heaven, we'll all agree. Praise the Lord. So let's continue in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And there's been a lot of debate, a lot of angst, a lot of hand-wringing over this verse and what people call the unpardonable sin. And I've had many sincere Christians uh, come to me. They're worried that they might have accidentally, unintentionally uh, committed this sin. And I'll be honest with you. I have heard cases where preachers told uh, uh, members of the church or former members of the church that they were reprobate, had committed the unpardonable sin, and could never be saved. If you're a preacher who's ever done that, I rebuke you to your face. You do not have that right. There's only one person who has a right to do that, and he's sitting on a throne in heaven. Do not ever do that. And can I say, dear Christian, that if you are concerned you may have committed such a sin, then you have not. Because if you committed such a sin, you would not have the conscience to worry over whether or not you committed the sin. And to understand what this sin is, we need to look at the context. And I already hit it a little bit. Jesus had, by the Spirit, performed miracles, signs, wonders and mighty acts that only God could do. Only the prophesied Messiah could do. And the Pharisees recognized these signs as being real. They knew that it was the Messiah. They knew what the scriptures said. And they knew that these signs proved that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And believe me, this can happen. Where it's like, well, I wanted God to do it my way. I wanted God to do it with my particular organization. With my particular group of people who are like-minded like me. So that can't be of God. That revival over there can't be of God. You better be careful what you say. Because it very well might be of God. Because God is going to do what God wants to do. He's not going to ask your permission. He is sovereign. And so... Because of their pride, they deliberately hardened their hearts 
and rejected what was the obvious revealed truth of the Spirit of God. And contrary to the obvious revealed truth, they spoke against it and they attributed it to the work of demons. That was blasphemous. But blasphemy can be forgiven. But this was far worse than blasphemous because it was a deliberate denial of the truth. And can I say that the unpardonable sin is never accidental. It's not impulsive. It's not a slip of the tongue. It's like, oh no, I accidentally committed the unpardonable sin. You will never accidentally do that. It comes to the point where you choose to harden your heart. And as you choose to harden your heart in the light of God's revelation that there is, this is no doubt the moving of God, you choose to harden your heart and then attribute it to, well, that's the devil moving among them. And what will happen? Well, God, just like he did with Pharaoh of Egypt, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But after a while, it was no longer Pharaoh hardening his heart. God said, I'm going to harden your heart. And now, Pharaoh, you don't even have a choice anymore. And if we ever get to that point, and God forbid that we do, but if we ever get to the point where we choose to harden our heart, or a man chooses to harden his heart, when God has given him obvious truth, and then attributes, attributes, that, attributes that to some kind of nefarious thing, this isn't the spirit of God, this is the spirit of the devil, but you know better, and you said it. Well, God is simply going to allow you to harden your heart, and then he's going to keep it hard. Which means repentance will no longer be offered. You see, we don't know when God is going to offer us repentance. He may offer us repentance over and over again. And if you think that when you repent, it's because you chose to repent, you got it all wrong. You repented because God called you to repentance and allowed you to repent. In a situation like this, God will harden their heart, their conscience will be seared and no repentance will ever be offered, but they harden their hearts first. God didn't do it. God didn't choose it. They did it. And then the Lord will say, that's enough. And can I say that the only person who could ever say that someone is a reprobate or they have committed the unpardonable sin is the Lord Jesus himself. It's not me. It's not you. It's not some great apostle or prophet somewhere. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, if you are sitting wherever you're sitting and listening to this and you have questioned, have I committed the unpardonable sin? I can tell you right now, you have not. Because one who did would never even care. The heart would be hardened, the conscience would be seared. And that person will be used by God for the purposes of God, just as Pharaoh was used by God for the purposes of God and could no longer repent because he continued to harden his heart. So Jesus continues in Matthew 12, verse 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. I'm not talking to you, Sister Erica. You're welcome to come in. Praise the Lord. Brood of vipers. <laughs> How can you be an evil? I'm not coming to this church anymore. I walk in, they call me a brood of vipers. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I want you to point out, I want to point this out too. We need to believe the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, we don't believe in a Jesus that somebody tells us is Jesus. And we don't create God in our own image. 
We're created in his image. And we don't make a graven image unto God, which means as Christians, now I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments here, but what I, the principle is this. We don't make God what we think he should be. Okay, that's the same thing as making him in our image or making God in an image of an idol. God is not your idol. He is God. And Jesus is Jesus. He's the Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus had no problem calling people brood of vipers. Because that's what they were. Because that's what they were. How can you, being evil, and by the way, if they're brood of vipers, they're sons of snakes, they have the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist. And that's what he means by this. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now remember, the Pharisees had just accused him of being in league with Baalzebub and doing the miracles that he did by demons. And so they opened their mouth, and this is a rebuke of them. And what he's saying here is because you're speaking this blasphemy, your heart is blasphemous. Whatever's coming out of you is what's in your heart. And basically, the heart is the tree, and the spoken words are the fruit of the tree. The words that come out of the mouth reveal the true condition of the heart of a man. If the heart is good, the words will be good. If the heart is evil, the words will be evil. And our hearts are either good or evil. One thing that Jesus never does is he never gives us a third option. He's very cut and dry. Uh, whatever comes out of your mouth, whether good or evil, comes out of what is in your heart. Now, if I had a picture up here and I had some glasses and I poured out uh, from this opaque picture water. And as I began to pour out the water, you looked at the glass and it was putrid and it was slimy and there was algae on it. Without looking in the picture you know that the water that's in the pitcher is putrid and slimy and full of algae because what comes out of the pitcher is unclean, so what's in the pitcher must be unclean. And if putrid, unclean words come out of our mouths, we know that the inside, the heart, is also putrid and unclean. James talks about this in the book of James, saying that we should not have a, a spring of fresh water and a spring of bitter water, the water coming out of the same place, out of the same mouth. And he's talking about your mouth. So we want, uh, Jesus said, you can tell a person by the fruits of their words what they're saying. And he's judging the Pharisees in this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, you might not realize it, but I really don't like Pharisees. Do you, does anybody here like Pharisees? No, I don't now, can I tell you, I used to be a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I know exactly how they think, and praise God, God delivered me by sending me through the fire and the furnace, and I wouldn't fall on the rocks, so praise God, it fell on me. And what I would like to do is save you from the rock falling on you. Fall on the rock. In other words, give your will to his will. It's not my will. It's your will. It's not what I want. It's not my traditions. It's not my desires. It's your will, your desires. 
And the Bible reads, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. This Jesus had healed the sick. He had cast out devils. He had cleansed the lepers. And they're asking for a sign. He had just now cast the devil out of a deaf and mute man. And they're asking for a sign. Praise God, it's a hard heart, right? They have a hard heart. And Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You are going to hear something tonight you have never heard before. I know, because I've been in church. Well, I mean, I was raised in church. I'm 52 years old. I've never heard it. Praise the Lord. And it was actually given to me by a revelation while talking on the phone with Brother Pepe Lopez. So I want to share this with you because it just hit me. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my Lord. Hallelujah. That's probably what, about six months ago now? So I've really researched it. But you're going to hear Sunday night. I don't think you've ever heard it before. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Once again, he's comparing them to the Gentile nations of old. And Nineveh was a wicked nation, absolutely wicked. But they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And he says, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The name Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo, which means his peace. And he was the prince of his peace, Shlomo. And Jesus is the prince of peace. Isn't that beautiful? A type of Jesus Christ. And indeed, a greater than Solomon here. He was the type, but Jesus was the real deal. Amen. Jesus said no sign would be given to that generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we gave you last time we were together a homework assignment. I ask you to read the book of Jonah, which is only four chapters long. And uh, the theme of thy word is the Lord Jesus Christ and how we find him all throughout the scriptures. The prophets spoke of him. The law spoke of him. It's all about Jesus. Can I tell you that David standing up to the giant with the sling is not about us. A lot of the times we like to think, oh yes, be brave like David. David stood up. No, sir. It's about the son of David who's going to stand up to that giant. And he's going to crush his head. But he'll bruise his heel. Amen. We're not going to get into it, but maybe I should. Maybe we ought to wait till later. We, we don't have a lot of time. But Goliath of Gath. And David took his head. Where did he put his head? 
brought it to Jerusalem, but you can't keep an unclean head in the city of Jerusalem. It's unclean. It had to be kept outside the city of Jerusalem. Goliath of Gath. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Whose skull? Goliath's skull. And that's where Jesus was crucified and crushed the head, just like his ancestor David did before. Isn't that beautiful? Praise the Lord. Anyway, we went off. So let's look for a bit at the book of Jonah. Now, before we do, I want to talk a little bit about the prophets, since Jonah was a prophet. And there are some prophets, such as Jonah, who was what we might call a full-time prophet. Others uh, were other occupations or in, were, were in other roles not traditionally associated with the office of the prophet. And one such person is David, the king of Israel. Peter declared David to be a prophet in Acts, the second chapter. And it is Peter who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired. Now, I want you to look at that word salvation. And I want you to keep that in your mind as we continue to go. Of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Messiah, Jesus, was in them was indicating when he testified. Who testified? The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ in the prophets testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the prophets inquired about the salvation that would come to you. They heard what they were saying when they prophesied. They saw what they were writing when, it, when they wrote it down or when it was written down for them. And they began to inquire about this salvation that would come to you. Uh, praise the Lord. Then Peter then writes about the prophets that the Spirit of Christ was in them and testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. What is that? In one word, the sufferings of Christ. The cross. Right? And we see that in Isaiah 53. It's all about the cross, isn't it? And Isaiah knew nothing about the cross. And yet he wrote about Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, and the glories that would follow. That's what the, the prophet spoke about, and it was the Spirit of Christ speaking through them, testifying through them beforehand. So what it, to, to, to boil this down, if I like to boil things down and make them simple, sometimes in the Bible, Jesus is speaking through the prophets. That simple. Sometimes in the Bible, Jesus is the one speaking, not the prophet. Okay? You with me? So we see that throughout the prophets and throughout the Psalms of David, many of which were 
messianic prophecies. That's a big word. Messianic messianic prophecies. That means they are prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And I want to go through some of these in order to understand that uh, what we will read in the book of Jonah. Psalms chapter 22 is a psalm of David, and it begins with these words. You will probably recognize them right away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? In the Hebrew, the beginning of the psalm reads, and you might recognize this as well, Eli, Eli, lama azvatanai. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Matthew 27, 46 records the words of Jesus on the cross. It says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, where it reads sabachthani, this is an attempt at the, uh, the, the, by the one who translated uh, Matthew into English to transliterate the Hebrew word azvatani. And so sabachthani is not a Hebrew word. It's just a, a poor transliteration is what it actually is. Jesus, and there's no question in my mind that Jesus was speaking Hebrew on the cross. And what he was saying, in fact, was, were the same words that King David, a prophet, wrote in the 22nd Psalm. It was David writing it, but it was the spirit of Christ in the prophet David. He was a prophet and a king who was actually writing this scripture, Psalm chapter 22. Let's continue in Psalm 22, beginning at verse 6. But I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Do you think King David was such a man despised by the people? No, he was the king. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And this is what happened to Jesus while he was on the cross. And David continues in verse 14 through 18. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Do you, do you know that Jesus scientifically died of a broken heart that melted within him? My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Do you think that David at any time ever had anybody come up and pierce his hands and his feet? And can I tell you that David wrote this psalm before anybody had ever been crucified? In the time that David wrote this, the execution, the way of execution was by stoning. And yet David, by the spirit of the Messiah in him, wrote, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They, they look and stare at me. They ripped him to shreds to the point where he could look down and see the bones of his body. This is Jesus telling you what's going to happen, my sufferings. He said he, he testified of his sufferings and the glories that would come after. This is him testifying. This is Jesus speaking through the prophet David, testifying about what they did to him. I can count all my bones. Can you imagine? 
that beautific cross image that you see where Jesus is like this and he's looking down and he looks a little bit feminine. It was nothing like that. You could not even tell he was a human being. He was so badly beaten for you and for me. They look and stare at me. His shame. And he was naked without any clothes because, as David wrote, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast Lots. Did they ever do that to David? And David probably had no idea what he was writing about. Because the Spirit of Christ, the one who would be his, uh, out of his genealogy, was writing through him and testifying of the sufferings that would come. Matthew 27, verse 39, beginning at verse 39. The Bible reads, and this is about Jesus on the cross. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. They cast it in his teeth. They wagged their heads. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophecy of the prophet King David in Psalms chapter 22. And Mark 15, beginning at verse 22, reads, And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink. They gave him gall. They gave me gall for my drink, is what David said. But he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. They fulfilled the prophecy that was spoken by the prophet. But it wasn't the prophet talking. It was Jesus talking through the prophet. Isn't that beautiful to see? Do you see how we have to study the scripture? We look for him everywhere. And I can actually tell you there are some clues that God puts in the book. Maybe we ought to do this when we get to the prophets. But if you see the arm of the Lord anywhere in Scripture, start looking for Jesus. If you see the right hand, start looking for Jesus. Because these are cues that God gives. I'm about ready to have the right hand start talking. I'm about ready to have the arm of the Lord start talking. When you see the word branch or root, start looking for Jesus because he's there. He's going to come out and he's going to start talking. And that's what we're seeing here. So David had never experienced such a thing. And I wonder if he even understood what he was writing. But Peter said it was the spirit of Christ within him testifying of his sufferings and the glory that would follow afterwards. Throughout the prophets and other psalms of David, we see the same occurrence. The prophet will be writing of things concerning his day and time. Then the spirit of Jesus. By the way, the spirit of Jesus is the proper term. It's actually in the New Testament, hidden in the Greek twice. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. Did you know that? It's in the book of Acts and it's in the book of Philippians. The spirit of Jesus. So if you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. I, so uh, Jesus would take over and begin to speak, and that would result in a messianic prophecy. I want you to turn with me now 
With that in mind to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. You ready, sis? Yes, ma'am. The book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer was... Chapter 1 and 2, it's a very small book, and I, I know that you've read it. I thought we'd go ahead and read it fresh here, because it only took about three minutes to do. So I want to turn with you to Jonah chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Re realize that Nineveh was not in the covenant 
that the Israelites had. They were a they were Gentiles like most of us here or not all of us here. Um, but the Lord wanted to give them a warning and they were a wicked nation. They were the enemies of Israel and they would literally put bodies on stakes all the way through the passages of the city as a warning to you. These were not good people and the Lord was going to destroy them for their wickedness. But Jonah knew the Lord. Somebody asked me today, why is the God of the Old Testament so harsh? Well, he's not. He's Jesus. And the thing that Jonah knew about Jesus, and of course his name wasn't Jesus then, but what, what the Lord, he knew about Jehovah, and I'm not going to say his name wasn't Jesus then. He was, he's God. I don't know what he called himself. But what he knew about Jehovah is if I go and preach to them, he might forgive them. I don't want him to forgive them. I want him to destroy them. Now that was Jonah's, that was his, his idea. So if I run away, they get destroyed. I'll take my licks later as long as they're dead. See, that's the way he saw it. He knew that the Lord was going to forgive them if they repented. So he wasn't going to give them a chance. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now we talk extensively and we... We have talked extensively in thy word about the theophanies, uh, the appearance of God in the Old Testament. And one of these, of course, is Malach Yehovah, who is the angel of the Lord who speaks as Yehovah, but is sent as Yehovah and is Yehovah. That is exactly who Jesus is. He's one who's sent by God, who is God, and his words are the words of God, right? He is the angel of the Lord. Another one, and Malach Yehovah is translated as the angel of the Lord. Another one is Davar Yehovah. And this is translated in English as the word of the Lord. And we talked about this, that when we say the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, we think he heard a voice or something. But that's not what the Bible says. The word of the Lord reached out and touched Jeremiah on the lips. That means the word of the Lord could be seen and the word of the Lord had a hand. Right? Samuel saw the word of the Lord. The first time he saw him, he saw him standing. The word of the Lord was a theophany. And we understand, and we're not going to get all into it again because we've already been pretty extensive about it, but John spoke of the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. This is not new to Judaism. They often, especially in the time of John, because they, they read what they, it's called the Targum, which is the Old Testament in Aramaic, which when Jehovah is seen in the Old Testament, he is often called Devar Jehovah, the word of the Lord. So John didn't invent this. This was something that was already in the Hebrew culture. And so we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 in the Hebrew, and I asked Brother Pepe to be ready to read it. I'm kidding. I told him he has a couple hours to learn it. But I'm not going to read it very well anyway. But here, I'm going to read it, though. And I'm going to read it from the Hebrew. Vayehi davar Yehovah. Vayehi davar Yehovah. Then came, or there was, davar Yehovah. Who's davar Yehovah? The Word of God. Who's the Word of God? The one who has made flesh is Jesus Christ. Jesus came to him. So we already see Jesus in verse 1. Vayehi davar Yehovah el Yonah ben Amatai lemor. Uh, and so, and there was, or there came, Devar Yehovah to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, 
And uh, that's what it means in English. So let me say that this was Devar Yehovah who came to Jonah in short. It was Yehovah. And Devar Yehovah was manifested in the flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ who is Yehovah. You understand? Jesus is Yehovah. He is the messenger of Yehovah. He is the word of God, all wrapped in one. Therefore, he is Yehovah, just like the angel of the Lord was Yehovah, and just like Devar Yehovah was Yehovah. So if you want to know who Yehovah was, his name is Yeshua. And he is sitting on the throne, and he is a human being sitting on the throne of heaven. And if that doesn't astound you, I don't know what will. There is a human being sitting on the throne of heaven. And his name is Yeshua HaMashiach. He's Ben David Uben Avraham. He's the son of David and the son of Abraham. So, praise God. Are you with me? Now, Jonah re rebels, and I, some of you are, some of you aren't. That's okay. You can watch this again. Now, Jonah rebels against Yehovah and flees to Tarshish, boards the ship, and tries to get away from what God commanded him to do. And God sends a storm to, uh, 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 to rage against the ship. And the crew cry out to their gods, they cast lots, we, we just read it, and finally Jonah urges the men to throw him overboard, God prepares a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and we will remember that Jesus said that the only sign that would be given to his generation was the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. With that in mind, now let's, let's look at Jonah chapter 2. Now remember the messianic psalm of David. Remember the messianic prophecies that are in the scripture. And then let's read Jonah chapter 2 together with the fact in mind that Jesus would move the prophet over and begin to speak. This isn't Jonah speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Now come with me. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out. It's interesting. Yonah means dove. And the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. I think there might be a connection there, but we'll have to look at that later. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Let me ask you this question. Did the prophet Jonah go into Sheol? What is Sheol? Remember from our study on Sheol that this is the place of the dead. It's what we call Hades or hell. Jonah did not go to Sheol. He was simply swallowed by a fish that God prepared. But Jonah was a prophet. And Peter said the spirit of Christ, which was in the prophets, testified of what he would suffer. Can I say that we are not hearing the words of Jonah here, but the words of Jesus? It is a messianic prophecy. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, Paul wrote to the Ephesians concerning the Lord Jesus in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Now this he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended? He's speaking of Jesus. He first, he who descended is also, also uh, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth as Jonah was in 
the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And now Paul is saying to the Ephesians, Ephesians that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens. What heaven is that? There's three heavens. Which heaven is above all heavens? The Lord. The Holy of Holies, where the throne of God is, the third heaven. But Jesus then ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. So the one who is speaking through Jonah said he was in the belly, the heart of Sheol. He went to hell. Now, I don't believe he went into the hell of torment. But the Bible talks about a place called Abraham's bosom. And there Abraham is waiting and David is waiting and Samuel is waiting and Daniel is waiting. And they're waiting for that one who's going to come and deliver them. But they can't be delivered until the price is paid. See, they were saved on credit. And every time God saved anyone in the Old Testament, it wasn't by the blood of bulls. It was by his own blood. I have to come. I have to suffer. And they're waiting for him to show up. And he first descended. Jonah 2, chapter 2, verse uh, uh, beginning uh, 2 to 4. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. That word deep is to home. To home. Into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your bellows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have ever been cast out of your sight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my roaring? Do you see? All your bellows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now he's not talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about another temple, the real temple. The temple of Jerusalem, the tabernacle, was only a replica of reality. But the reality is in heaven where Jesus went. I want you to remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where it records that darkness was upon the face of the deep. And that word for deep is tahom or the abyss in Greek, abysmos, and it's where the demons feared that Jesus would send them to. This is the same word that Jonah used for the deep. He says, you cast me into the deep. What deep? And darkness was up on the face of the deep. He cast him into outer darkness, into the tahom. So the one who is talking was cast into Sheol, into the tahom, the deep, the abyss, and he is cast from God's sight. Once again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the speaker says, I will look for your holy temple. The speaker in his trouble from the belly of Sheol turns his attention to God's holy temple. Now, every sacrifice in the law, every ritual of the law, every ordained feast of the law pointed in anticipation to the Lord Jesus and they were fulfilled by him when he came when he suffered the death of the cross and resurrected from the dead so we no longer require the death of a lamb or a goat or a bullock 
um, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, a better sacrifice than what the law provided, and his precious blood purchased a better covenant than the covenant of the law. So we no longer need a priest or a high priest. Not only is Jesus the sacrifice, but he is the high priest. Praise the Lord. And under the law, the high priest would once a year sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice seven times, then enter into the Holy of Holies. Remember when we studied the tabernacle, that the, uh, the tabernacle was divided like nature itself, where we had the third heaven, we had the second heaven, and we had the sky, okay, the three parts, the outer court. Then we had the holy place, then we had the holy of holies, and the Ark of the Covenant sat in the holy of holies. And the Ark of the Covenant, on top of that, is the mercy seat. It is the mercy throne. It is the cassette. It is where God dwells. It represents the third heaven and the throne of God. And Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, says Jesus entered not into holy places made by man, which are merely copies of things in heaven, but into heaven itself. He appeared in the presence of God in a heavenly temple and on our behalf, our perfect high priest with the ultimate sacrifice. And he sprinkled his blood on the throne of heaven. And this one in the book of Jonah says, the water surrounded me even to my soul. Now in Acts 2.27, Peter speaking of Jesus, quoted the Psalm of David, Psalms chapter 16, another messianic song. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Jesus is speaking through David. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. The New Testament book of Acts Peter quotes this, he says, you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption or decay. Jesus' soul went to Sheol, but the Spirit of Christ through David said his soul would not be left in Sheol and his flesh would not see corruption or decay. So the speaker in Jonah continues, the deep, the home closed around me. He's being engulfed in the darkness. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. In other words, I went down to the deepest part, to the bottom, to the center of the earth. Now the word here for weeds is suf. And suf means reeds. And when the children of Israel made their exodus from Egypt, they passed through what is interpreted as the Red Sea. But in Hebrew, it's Yom Suf. It is the sea of reeds. And Jesus says, Reeds are wrapped around my head, the soof, the sea of reeds. And Egypt represents, in a spiritual sense, Sheol. It is the place of the dead. And to leave it, they went through the reed sea, Yom Suf. The earth with its bars, Jonah continues, uh, closed behind me forever. You are now experiencing, or he's showing you what happens when someone dies and goes into Sheol. This is what they are experiencing. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. And normally it would be forever. But not for this one. <laughs> Yet, you have brought up my life. From the pit. Now the word here for pit is mishkat or 
corruption or decay. And David wrote, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption or decay. And Jonah says the same thing here. Oh Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Not the temple in Jerusalem, the other temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I, and this is what he said, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. He's the sacrifice. And he's the one who's sacrificing the sacrifice. I will pay what I have vowed. On the cross, Jesus said, Neshelem. It is paid. Neshelem. It is finished. I will pay what I have vowed. And then... Here the speaker remembers a vow that he made. The vow was to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And then he names the sacrifice. He actually says the name of the sacrifice. But see, the problem is it's in Hebrew. So that's why I study Hebrew, so I can bring this out to you. Because I want you to know the name of the sacrifice according to the book of Jonah. You ready? Hallelujah. I want to read it in Hebrew. And translate it into my own words. But while I'm reading it, I'm going to read it very slowly because I want you to catch a name. You ready? Va'ani bekotoda etz b'chalacha asher nadrati ashalma neshelim ashalma. It is finished. It is paid. Hallelujah. Yeshu ah. Yeshua Ta Leyehovah And I in a voice of thanksgiving sacrifice to you that which I vowed a payment in full of Yeshua Ta Salvation to Yehovah I'm bringing the payment that I vowed and it's me I'm bringing it. Hallelujah. And I, in a voice of thanks to sacrifice to which I have out a payment in full of Yeshua, it is finished. It is finished. It is paid. Neshalem. The word for salvation contains the Hebrew name of Jesus, our Messiah. And I'm going to close with this. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 21, Gabriel, the angel, is commanding Joseph concerning the soon coming Messiah. And he says, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua. Salvation. They spoke of the salvation that we should receive. And the sacrifice that the one, the speaker in Jonah chapter 2 would bring was salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. And then Jonah ends and the Lord spoke to the fish and he vomited Jonah unto dry land. And the Lord spoke to Sheol 
And Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We love you. We thank you for thy word. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes and our understanding to what you have for us. I want to know more about you, Jesus. I want to know all about you. To experience the salvation that comes only from you. And to find you in your word. To know you. To understand you like we've never understood you before. You are our salvation. And you loved us. And you gave yourself a sacrifice. You paid in full for our salvation, O oh Lord. We love you. We appreciate it. Lord, I ask you to bless these people for coming. Bless them as they stay for prayer. Bless them on their way home. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I